So welcome everybody to a new conversation about motherhood. And today we're really pleased to have um, Emma Palmer here, who wrote a book published in 2016, Other Than Mother, Choosing Childlessness with Life in Mind. And if you're looking for the book, check out that she was under writing under a different name, Kamala Mani. And also joining the conversation today is Sophia Cheng, who's developing a wonderful project to explore this further for 2022 and beyond. Motherhood in a Climate Crisis, Exploring If and How. So Emma, I'd like to talk to you a bit about your book and ask you some questions about it. Um, first of all, what was the reception uh, to your book? Mm, gosh, good question. Um, not what I thought it would be, Judith, <laughs> as with so many things in life. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, so the delightful thing, the thing I loved most about the reception was it appealed to people or, or, or sections of people who I wasn't necessarily targeting. So those who weren't able to have children, as well as um, mothers, I think it was mainly mothers, yeah, whose children had left home. Probably, probably, I think probably more people who couldn't have children, who were childless, not by choice, read it possibly than child-free free people um which is really interesting i mean to me that was delightful because it bridged between well it bridged across the parenthood decision which was one of my main interests is because when you read the title you know hearts think could it be another of those polemical child-free books and there's quite a few of those around um and that was never my intention so yeah it, it did appeal to a wider audience than i than i meant or or i thought it would um yeah, and, and it, the people who would come up to me at workshops or conferences or things pre-pandemic would be those who were trying to come to terms with childlessness and, and parents, like I said, as well as some child-free folk and also people who are in the, very much in the thick of trying to decide whether to have children or not and, and, you know, weighing up the pros and cons. And, of course, in a way, it feels dated now because so much has changed in the world since seven years ago when I was writing it. So it, I think it's... Um, I hope it still serves that function. But, but yeah, no, it was... a. It was an interesting reception. And also, it's not a book. It's not a popular book. It's a taboo subject. It's still taboo, unfortunately, which is why I'm so glad to hear about this project um, you guys are doing, because it is it is still very taboo. Um, but I think the struggle's gone a bit... In some ways, the struggle's more out there, but I think the struggle's also more gone more underground as well in some ways. I think it's a very strange time. Um, could talk a lot about that, but I won't. So, yeah, the reception was surprising in some ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, your book's in three parts, isn't it? Yes. And uh, in the first part, you, you really set out the backdrop mm -hmm. to this decision mm -hmm. and the cultural changes that have brought about a rise in voluntary or intentional childlessness. Yes. And I guess in that part of the book, you, you also look at how being a mother can be part of identity Mm, mm. and also ask questions about that mm. and then you go on to explore the decision making process yeah. um, and then uh, how how why we live with those kind of decisions mm. which mm. often presumably aren't immutable people make decisions that yeah. that maybe change over time absolutely yeah. 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 um so another question i wanted to ask you is how would you write the book differently if you were doing it <laughs> Crikey. 
if I was doing it now, yes, that's really tricky because I started researching this when I was 27 and I'm 51 now. So it's, it's a whole different stage in life. You know, I'm perimenopausal. I don't have urgency around the issue. I don't think about it much apart from thinking about it as a, in terms of climate emergency and the other interrelated crises, and also talking to friends and family who are younger than me and might be in the thick of the decision-making about it. Um, oh, it's almost impossible to figure out how I would do it now. I mean, it was hard enough figuring out how to do it in 2014 or 15, to be honest, because it's such a vast subject. I think the book's too long as well, so I'd probably edit it down. Um, and I have thought of doing this a few times, making it much punchier, much shorter, to make it or because you I wanted to catch the nuance because I think nuance is a key thing in this area which gets missed nine times out of ten especially by the the popular media um gosh I don't know I'd have to that would take me weeks to answer that question okay maybe a better question is if you're writing an additional chapter what would it be about I don't think I I can't think of an, an obvious I think that I think the tone would be different. The tone would be different. And I think the fact we've just we're coming through and not it's not over a pandemic and the climate emergency, it's I think even in everyday awareness, it's it, we're realizing the climate emergency is now, it's not in a distant future. Um and however that's reported or underreported, I think that is entering sort of public consciousness or consensus yeah. reality or whatever. Um, so I think that would be the difference, would be yeah how would I write it given what's happened in the last two years and the the climate emergencies which are more vivid are closer to home are happening in the global north I think uh, I I think there's more awareness and a lot more fear you know eco-anxiety whether we like the term or not is an everyday not an everyday word but it's very much talked about five ten years ago when other than mother came out no one had heard of eco-anxiety so I think I'd um yeah, I'd write it with the perspective of what we've all been through. And I mean, I really haven't suffered much as in the hands of climate emergency, you know, but but we're seeing that it is happening. It's not a distant thing. So that would be the key difference, I think. Um, and also in response to things like birth strike three years ago, which was such a an amazing, oh, it was it was so refreshing. Cause I think the other thing you asked about the reception of Love and Mother, well, it was very subdued. And that's the other thing. It's kind of like, let's look at this, let's look at this. And so when birth strike happened, I think the timing was great. Um, it was in a year where XR were taking off um, and becoming becoming in the public eye. And I was so glad to see that happen, especially for women who were in the thick of decision making that I'm not in. I don't have that that certain energy of what am I doing? You know, will I be out of time soon? That kind of time is of the essence, which I think really matters in this in this decision making process. So I think that I think the orientation would be <clears throat> the thing that would be different rather than the actual chapters or something because I quite like the structure you know it's all right (laughs) um okay over to Sophia do you have some thoughts uh, Sophia that you'd like to ask Emma about I suppose you know we talk about how how quickly things have moved in such a short sort of you know even since you've written this book which I mean, it does feel like a long time ago in many ways, but it's not really, is it? And, you know, and we're, lots of people are making these decisions at the same time. Did you have community around you and a support network around you while you were wrestling with this? Um, because I think if that can be really helpful and the, and the notion of a liminal space by its very nature is we're not there all the time, right? And, and there seems to be spaces, as you've mentioned, for the child-free, child-less, and obviously lots of mother orientated spaces yeah was it when you were wrestling with this was there space for that that liminal conversation community and have you seen that emerge um since writing the book um 
yeah. I, yeah, I'd be curious on your opinion on that. I'd say my, I think my main, the, the main supports were, uh, were parents probably. Mm-hmm. Parents who had had children and were open to talking about that they had enough perspective to, they love their kids, but they might not do it again. Or they love their children, but they respect the people who might not have children. And so, I, and, and all the people I spoke to, and I spoke to hundreds of people um, who were perhaps in the decision-making process or couldn't have children. Because once I started researching it, people really wanted to talk about it, I think, which was indicative of the fact that there, there weren't those spaces, you know, or it is too taboo, or we can't ever say we would, didn't want children, you know, which is another thing that's really changed. People are talking about their regrets around motherhood or parenthood, um, which was very different then. Um, so, yeah, I think the thing about community and spaces is absolutely vital. And I think that's why the project you're doing is, is so important because I think what's missing, the thing I never did was create a network of people who were, well, partly because there weren't many people doing this. I didn't meet many kindred spirits, to be honest, in the writing of, of who were looking at the parenthood decision with climate emergency and other, and other crises in mind. Um, I think if anything, quite a lot of the time, it was like, it's just an individual decision. We need to focus on the bigger stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, but we need to do all of it. We need to do the individual. We need to campaign. We need to change policy. We need, it's not just one or the other. It's all interlinked. I think, so I think it was put in that, oh, that's about individual response. Um, it's like, well, no, have you read the book? And so, so I think now what's exciting is, I think we're also starting to realise that community has been so eroded um, in late stage capitalism, so eroded that, we're starting to think, right, how do we recreate community? And that wasn't happening when I was in my 20s and 30s, not probably towards the end of my 30s. That was like, hold on, you know, what's been going on has actually eroded our ability to support and care and create liminal spaces, which is exactly what the decision-making needs. So, yeah, I think it's a brilliant question. And, and no, I don't think it was there. And I really hope, yeah, it it can take root. You know, it can take root, even, even and start small, but take root. Mm. And become not normalised, but become accepted and really healthy part of conscious parent making or, or non non parenthood decision making. One of the um, sort of sources I, I've moved to, including kind of purchasing your book, Emma, was finding um, Anne Davidman's "Motherhood mm. Is It for Me," yeah. um, a book, but programs. So it's a twelve week program that um, explored. Uh, notions or different aspects of this question not specifically around climate actually it was kind of going kind of getting underneath uh your the external factors and I think I've been so preoccupied by the external factors being a climate activist and working in this space in my business is um it came back to the very much the kind of psychotherapeutic piece of work um and I found that having some handrails to hold on to and being given this process and I I did it again with someone else not doing it on my own so kind of tapping into that um, accountability and community piece was so so helpful um and you know that she's she's published this book in response to lots of people coming to her practice with these yeah. questions. So that similarly kind of put it out into the world and 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 see it. And again, I heard about that through a community of of women who were having these conversations. So you know, yeah. it seems like there is some sort of more resources out there. Yeah, um, that you say as well. That's great. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. And of course, what you're both saying about the lack of community. Um, specific to this question because it tends to go underground but also in general very much links to what Sally Weintraub is writing about in terms of the culture of uncare yeah um, and and so I think it's really important to to name that these debates and questions uh, which are both personal and 
political and global um, are in that context of the erosion of of structures of care. Yes. Yeah. Really, really important. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder, Sylvia, if you could say a little bit about your project. Absolutely. Um, so it's called Motherhood in a Climate Crisis exploring if and how we mother in uncertain times um, and really it's sort of taking the conversation that I think Birthstrike like you said Emma kind of put on the map in that very kind of political you know almost shocking right they were saying this bold statement that was being made um, and taking that into a broader direction, I guess, and, and exactly tapping into that word that you said, Emma, nuance, and not uh, trying to avoid that catfight that the media always wants to put women in particular in, or people identifying as women, as the either-or camp. Mm. And actually, there's there's a huge amount of grey. We live in a grey world, and there's lots of nuance in that. And we wanted to use the notion and power of storytelling, which comes out really clearly in climate outreach's research, as a powerful communications tool to talk about the climate crisis. Um, um, and bring people together. And like we said, there is happening underground. Um, and I've been witness to and part of some of these underground conversations and thought, you know what, is there a safe way that we can put this conversation firmly on the map um, in these times, particularly when, you know, headline after headline is we haven't got time, we haven't got time, we haven't got time. And I think particularly for um, people who have really absorbed this, you know, move the weight of the climate and ecological crisis from their head to their hearts, invariably, it then think about what are we going to do with our bodies as well. Um, so it, it felt, you know, I am 35 right now. I am, you know, falling off that um, fertility cliff that society and so, some sort of average data is telling me I'm falling off of. Um, and the, the peers around me um, uh, are making those decisions and most of them um, are mothers um, as well. So it's very prevalent for me at the moment and my demographic um, or my kind of cohort of, of, of peers. So we wanted to find a way um, to do this safely. So that's why we've partnered uh, with the CPA and why kind of we're here talking with you today because we really, really wanted to put, put care back in the centre um, of this process. And so we're working with a theatre facilitator, Nismitten, who has um, kind of come through the sort of theatre of the oppressed movement um, and has lots of experience working with uh, women who've dealt with trauma um, and lots of different challenges and how you can do that group work and bring and raise up these stories and we're also uh, working with Joe McAndrews who is our therapeutic facilitator all around this project this kind of point of care uh, not only for the participants but also for the project team itself uh, which has been really important and the notion is uh, how we can develop our own stories and the power that that gives us but then building up to a live performance in Bristol on the 2nd of July when we take those stories out mm. um, and of course it's Bristol focused for now because we wanted to be able to do things in real life that we can do now in this sort of strange time of 2022 when we can. But of course, it's not a Bristol focused issue. So the notion, uh, the next phase will be to uh, run a online premiere of that, that theatre performance um, to a global audience. And I really love to uh, bring in um, the, the spirit of the vagina monologues uh, from V um, and actually the outputs of this will be a script um, as well as a process 
that you can follow. And so then we want to take it out to the next stage and invite community organisers, theatre, community theatre people in um, to either take the script as it, as it stands, or here's the process to add some more stories um, and take it out. So we've already got some communities in Birmingham interested, for example, but I'd love, you know, one to pop up in New York and something out in Adelaide and, you know, various places, not necessarily Anglophile countries as well, because that will bring about a lot more cultural nuances. Um, And then it goes on and really there will be, hopefully, touch wood, if I get, if I get my way, you know, a landing page where this library of stories will grow. So whether you come to a performance or not, here's a landing page and you can say, you know what? someone is articulating something that no one in my peer group has been has done yet and you know that sharing that word of mouth can happen but also get enough PR around this enough kind of people with profile to come and say this is a great project or this is how I feel about this topic in a brave courageous compassionate way that then lifts the climate crisis out of this green bubble and into this kind of much wider lifestyle gender society all of those conversations makes it a bit tricky and it's a bit scary to do but that's really what I'm hoping to pierce with this project. Mm, amazing. Wow. Mm. I love listening to you, um, Sophia. And I, I just think your capacity to imagine beyond the next stage mm. is so important. And also, I find that very, um, very enabling. Mm. Um, I think your your enthusiasm is actually contagious and uh that's really important. And as I was sitting listening to you both, I, I was reflecting on um, on my own situation because I, I'm 70. So I was having my babies uh, who are now grown men in my um, late 20s, early 30s. And, and I now have grandchildren. And I think there's something every time i see a piece in the news about about how little we're doing collectively to stop this crisis and uh, there were some articles this week about the so-called carbon bomb if if the fossil fuel companies take advantage of of massive exploitation which they could do that um It'll make unstoppable climate change even more likely, and and my my heart goes to 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 my grandchildren, step grandchildren, mm. and um, questions about that, and questions about um, that. Those of us who have children in richer countries, um, by just by the facts of life, are using more resources. Um, and at the same time, um, when a new baby comes, mm-hmm. I, I think I've loved enough and suddenly a new door in my heart opens and um, there's so much joy in that new life. Um, and just holding those nuances in myself mm-hmm. and also looking back and thinking, uh, would I have had three children if I'd known? Um, and was there a little part of me did know, you know, limits to growth came out in 1972. <laughs> you know? um, uh, and I, I suppose I take comfort from that there are some networks of, of um, grandparents and, and mm-hmm. grandmothers really wanting to hold um, 
politicians to account for their decisions on behalf of future generations and the generations that are, are just born and um, just in primary school uh, and the and and extending that care for all all the grandchildren of the world you know whether their grandparents are alive or not and that that thread of conversation will be there in your storytelling I hope as well absolutely when we were sort of in the early days of brainstorming the intergenerational piece again is missing from our society in many many ways um and and we were wrestling with how and if we bring this in to this conversation of this project at this time. Um, and I think we need some of those stories, but but I suppose if, if I can be very selfish to this particular age group who particularly, yeah, the 30 to something year olds who have grown up in a, in a conditioned in a world that is very pronatal. Yeah but also come of age in a time where this urgency has has been really explicit and how that nuance is slightly different from being an 18 year old right now who who will have absorbed that notion um earlier on in their more formative years and with this demographic is really coming up against these two worlds and that meeting of these two worlds um and wanting to honor even just for posterity's sake this nuance in particular because the younger uh, women around us, and we do want to make sure we articulate these stories as well, have the gift of time, right? They have another 10, 20 years to figure out, well, see what the world's going to figure out for itself to make then these decisions in, in their families and their communities. But there is a certain group of age group, just by age, you know, that is actually my biological clock is going to diminish in time in alignment with what the scientists are saying, we've got time to sort this out. And I think there's something from maybe just an anthropological perspective to note these stories down now in this time and space. Um, but, I, I, but then invariably I'm bringing in my own agenda. So it's what's going to be really interesting is to have these variations in there. And hopefully we will get a breadth of age um, as well as expression, diversity of expressions of motherhood or not motherhood or and all of that, all of that wonderful shades of grey in between um, during this project. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Emma, do you do you have any questions of Sophia listening to what she's uh, what she's been talking about? I'm mainly just really excited to see it unfold. <laughs> to be honest, I'm very infused, infused. And I think, yeah, the thing you've just said, which I'm not going to encapsulate as clearly as you just said it, but there's something in that which is really important is yeah can we just stop and listen to 20 to 35 year olds because that's the group at the moment that I'm most fearful children yes as well in terms of what's going to happen in the future but when I see what's going on how we're not looking after that generation it I could weep well I do weep frequently because and that's like could we stop and listen to what's happening and document that um because I think that would have a really profound effect actually and because the energy you're embodying or you embody as you talk about that it's very different how I talk about it or how Judith talks about it and I I just want to champion that because I was too old when I think other than mother came out to no not too well too old to still feel that in my bones because I was already in my 40s and there is something really important about that energy and I don't know I I couldn't say what that energy is in words because it would be too neat and not nuanced and not you know not kind of complex enough but yeah I think 
I really want to champion something from your age group, as well as having, I'm sure the stories are going to be really multi-threaded because they always are. They always are <laughs> when you listen closely and when you open up a space. So, but yeah, that, that voice, can we stop and listen? Because if we see what's happening around the world to women's bodies and the legislation around women's bodies, and it isn't just women, I know that, um, bodies, bodies everywhere, but there's something very particular about what you're saying, which, yeah, I, can we listen to, to your demographic? Can we learn? Can we really have our ears open? Because that's what I try and, do, try and do, listen to my nephews and nieces, who are my nephews that age, and my nieces are approaching that age, and it's like they're seeing a world that I'm never going to see through their eyes, you know, and, and I really need to understand that and take them seriously because it's not going to be my world soon in terms of the, the, who's making decisions. So, yeah, I really, yeah, I feel very moved by what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. So, so Emma, can I just ask you, because you, you seem to be talking more generally about, um, you said, weeping for this generation, this demographic, mm -hmm. and obviously that's wider than the issue of um, exploring if and how oh, yeah. children. You've mentioned the restrictive legislation that is scaring many of us coming from the States. What else is on your heart about this generation? Oh, God, you name it. I mean, lack of access to education or, or coming out of education, hugely indebted. Yeah. Access to safe housing, um, access, the right to protest. I know that's not just this demographic, but it's often this demographic who do do end up acting for the rest of us. I mean, I do go, I do act, but I know a lot of people go, oh, the young people will do it. The young people will do it. And so just about everything but I suppose yeah education in particular when I look at my education student loans were just coming in at the tail end of my degree I probably wouldn't have done a degree if I'd had a £80,000 debt or whatever it is now I probably wouldn't have gone to uni um that would have changed my life profoundly I wouldn't have written other than mother I'm not saying that's a book to end all books but there's many things I wouldn't have done um and I'm from a relatively privileged background you know but I probably wouldn't have gone to uni so education housing just basic the basic stuff of life really um and i don't think we take it seriously enough and i know every age group needs care and concern because of the erosion of care more broadly every age has got a particular set of needs of course it has but i mean as we're on this demographic i think yeah the right to protest is probably that's come right into my head i mean the, the more basic things as well are really important but just and what's in the future how are we looking after this generation given the future that I might be dead by the time climate emergency really manifests fully or whatever that means. Um, but I might not, I mean, I'm not banking on that, but, but how do we prepare and support the next generations? And it may, you know, not, I hate the word resilience, but it's useful here as shorthand. How do we support as well as do what we can as well? Yeah. I'd like to kind of chime in here as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. With, so, you know, there's a lot of stick Right. There's, you know, there's a lot of things going wrong. There's a lot of dismantling of old things that don't function and serve us very well anymore. And that's really hard. And it, tapping into all those things that you've said, and, you know, we, we need to acknowledge our, our kind of privilege, the three of us here as well. There's whole loads of other things um, that, that we could put on the table as well. I also think, so I'm not that young. That's the other thing. I'm in the middle, right? And it's this notion that it, you know, there's a kind of growing notion of youth, there's a growing notion of like, elders you know mary robinson is championing the elders community and i think that really again driven by my personal agenda probably in my age is that actually the people with power and influence and money now are 
the 30s to 60 year olds, you know, that also, you know, if you're female, if you have a womb, there's a fertility question kind of in and around that. But we are stepping into our pet positions of power right now. And also I heard this from a very wise woman a few weeks ago, this notion of the future is not yet written. Mm. And if we let the headlines and Netflix dictate it for us, we are heading for a dystopian future. But actually what this woman was saying is now is the time for myth-making. Now is the time for new storytelling. Um, And I keep coming back to this notion that actually if we can stretch our imaginations and think about what what on earth we actually want and can we thrive in a low carbon, you know, less disruptive against biodiversity and annihilation of our natural resources, we can still live thriving full lives, but but we're so sort of immersed in these, you know, you don't have enough, you're not good enough, you know, you haven't got a good enough job, that like we're not enough. And I think it's interesting, you know, talking to both of you as from a kind of psychological therapeutic background that meeting our needs doesn't have to correlate with high emissions and high extraction. Um, and I, I think that the notion of exploring motherhood is sort of one route a uh, shortcut into some of those conversations that can be very dry and just about CO2 emissions and numbers and figures. So, so I hope that this route uh, into this sort of mostly sort of universal notion of parenthood or questioning parenthood or, you know, this sort of stuff means we can get in and have these meaningful conversations in more spaces. Mm. Mm. That, that sounds really important. Um, and I found myself wondering earlier, Emma, if actually you wrote the book to create the community you didn't then have in some ways. Yeah, maybe. Not intentionally, but. Maybe, yeah, maybe on in, or a wider consequence of that. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and maybe when the, I think some, some of us end up writing stuff out of conversations. And of course, by setting out to do the book, you ended up having conversations, didn't you? Yeah, loads of conversations. Yeah, yeah. It's also the massive disbelief it wasn't being talked about, you know, which is why I hear you talk about this under the creative channels and the storytelling. And it's so exciting. You know, it's so exciting that because you're right, we need to re reimagine. I'm never sure about that term, but re, yeah, what do we what do we want? What does the world want from us? How do we include everybody? You know, it's it's yeah, yeah. it's uh Great. Okay. Any final points before we wrap up? I suppose, can I do a quick call to action if anyone's listening on when they tune in? So um, if you're hearing this in in and around May 2022, we are actively uh, recruiting Bristol storytellers. So if you would like to get involved, I know it's a brave ask um, and it will be quite an intense process, but you will be really well supported and held through that process through um, our project team and through the wider partnership with the CPA. If you're hearing it a little bit later than this, we'd love you to come along to the 2nd of July performance, uh, which will be in Bristol itself. And again, um, the CPA will be hosting uh, facilitated conversations afterwards, right? So we've got care for the audience embedded in um, into the process as well. And if it's later than that, um, come to withmanyroots.com. There should be a landing page. There'll be an online premiere. And if you're interested in maybe taking this project into your local community, um, I'd invite you to get in touch as well. We are motherxclimate at gmail.com. That's our working project group. Um, or you can get in touch with me, Sophia Cheng at With Many Roots. So 
Thank you. Thank you, Emma. No, not at all. And just to clarify, when you did the call out for storytellers, you, you don't mean professional storytellers. You mean people who have a story of their life around this, who would love to be able to tell it or would like to explore whether they perhaps scarily potentially could be nurtured into telling it. Okay. Thank you so much to you both. And uh, it's been lovely to have this conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you very much.